Welcome back to Conservative Conversations. I'm your host, Reed. And I'm Frank. Today we're going to be talking about Issue 1 and Issue 2 in Ohio, the third GOP debate, and more. But first, it was recently Veterans Day, and we're going to play a couple of interviews that we did with some special veterans in our lives. We thank them for their service, and we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, so why don't you start off by telling the listeners who you are, a little bit about yourself. I'm Dave. I was born in 1951. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and moved to West Virginia with my parents in 1958. I went to high school in West Virginia, graduated in 1969, and after that, I went to Nashville, Tennessee, and went to Nashville Auto Diesel College. I learned how to work on cars, trucks, diesel engines, and then after coming back from down there, I worked as a mechanic at the Ford Garage in Masontown, West Virginia for a couple years until I got drafted. I got a draft notice. At the time, you could had 30 days to enlist in another service if you did not want to go with the draft. A lot of my friends that were in high school with me a couple years ahead of me had gotten drafted. One of them lost his life in Vietnam, so I did not want to be in the Army infantry, so I called up my Air Force recruiter, and I enlisted in the United States Air Force. And what year was that? That was in 1970. All right. And what was your position? I was a avionics maintenance technician, mainly on the F-4 Phantom jet. I worked on Phantom jets in Vietnam. I worked on them in Thailand. I was in lots of different places in Southeast Asia during the Vietnamese occupation or war, which we really couldn't call it a war. It was called the conflict because we did not declare war. Right. Yeah, I know, especially around that time, uh, a lot of people uh, weren't very supportive of the war and some people were of course did you experience any anything any of that during your time while you were there no I, I when I was in the Air Force most of the people that I was around of course were supportive of the war I was drafted and didn't really want to be in the infantry but mm-hmm. I was not I was glad to go and serve my country there in the Air Force, and most of my people that I worked with in the Air Force admired them and respected them, and was glad to be an airman. That's good. And you had the fortune to serve at the same time as my uncle, your brother. How was that? That was very good. We both enlisted together because he was also drafted at the same time I was. Mm -hmm. And so we both decided to go into the Air Force, and we were guaranteed to stay together for the most part 
in the Air Force. Uh, we went to the same technical training school. We worked. We were in the same avionics maintenance squadrons, and we shared a barracks, a bunk, and a room together for the biggest part of the time that we were in the Air Force. Uh, there was a couple times when we went our separate ways on temporary duty assignments, but we always came back to the same uh, base mm-hmm. and spent the majority of our time together, which made things a lot nicer for me. And uh, I was didn't have to be away from my twin brother. Right. Yeah, I bet that was probably interesting for some of your instructors and sergeants to have twins around. I'm sure they didn't know who was who at, at certain times. Well, a lot of them uh, were aware that we were brothers, and they got us mixed up, so they called us T1 and T2, because <laughs> <laughs> our last name began with a T. Yeah, I've never uh, heard that one before. That's pretty funny. Um, what was probably one of your most uh, memorable assignments or... Uh, temporary duty yeah, assignment. That's yeah, that's a temporary it's assignment. called TDY. Um, I went TDY from, first of all, when we first went out of our United States to Southeast Asia, we were shipped to Taiwan, but hadn't been there more than two weeks when Taiwan was going through a revolution, mm. and they shipped our whole air wing out of Taiwan and sent us to Clark Air Base in the Philippines, uh, which is where we were stationed for the majority of time, except when we were on temporary duty assignments. Mm-hmm. One of my most interesting ones was a temporary duty assignment to uh, Utapau Air Base in Taiwan or Thailand, which was where I was able to work on a F-4 Phantom that was flown by one of the first Air Force aces in the Phantom, uh, Colonel Oldham, Robin Oldham. He was a a very proficient pilot, a very admired man, but he was also very easygoing, easy Mm -hmm. to talk to, easy to get along with, and he always treated the technicians that worked on his aircraft with great respect. I respected him a lot. That's pretty cool. I know um, we've gone to the Air Force Museum over at Wright Pat a couple of times, and we always enjoy seeing the F-4 Phantoms that they got on display there. Um, and you got a pretty funny story about w- working on uh, a plane one day that you like to share. Uh, yes, I was working on Colonel Oldham's aircraft. I had been called out to the flight line on a code red, which meant that the aircraft was waiting to take off, but the pilot or navigator had experienced a problem. So I was sent out to go see what the problem was. Colonel Oldham was the pilot in the front cockpit, And he had stepped out of the aircraft, and they had a maintenance ladder hanging on the side of the jet. And I went up to check out a system. It was called the INS, which is the Inertial Navigation System. And I mainly 
worked on these aircrafts when they were sitting on the ground and the, and the uh, power to them was supplied by a, a uh, power unit plugged into the aircraft on the ground and the aircraft engines were not running. And I went up there and, and I ran through some tests and determined that one of the boxes, control boxes, was defective. And to remove this box, you had to shove the throttles forward. Well, most of the time, being working on the ground with the aircraft plugged in the ground power, it made any did not make any difference. You just shoved the throttles out of the road and you took the box out. But me, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> and I shoved the throttles forward on the jet. Of course, I was standing on a ladder hanging on the side of the aircraft. <laughs> and the aircraft immediately tried to jump the chocks. And fortunately, the na weapons and navigator in the back seat was on the ball and he immediately jerked the throttles back and shut the plane down if it, if it had not been for him i don't know what would happen i probably would have been sucked into the intake which was about three feet from me or thrown off the ladder and the aircraft might have went flying down the runway with nobody in it so but to my vast relief, the, the uh, maintenance man or the navigator in the back seat was on the ball. He jerked the throttles back and shut the plane down and averted this disaster. But I did get chewed out for that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was sure. quite interesting. Sure. Let's see. We'll go ahead and wrap it up here. I got one last question. Today, the military in general has trouble meeting their recruitment numbers they're not getting enough people who want to volunteer and enlist into the military so for any younger people who are listening what might you be able to say to them to encourage them to enlist into the military whatever service it might be i think that anybody in this country owes a a great debt of gratitude to the veterans that have served in this service as a whatever the branch. And we need people to step up and come into the services. And it's a good way to learn responsibility, a good way to get an education. And most branches will pay if you stay in, you will get college payments. It's just overall, I think, a, a very good way to learn responsibilities and to help support the security of our nation by joining the, the uh, armed forces of your choice. That sounds good. And it's also, uh, I think as you started trying to say, it's a good way to learn a skill because um, you certainly are taught a lot in the military, as I'm sure you know. Most people think that serving in the military means being out on the front lines and in combat, but you know, as you demonstrated, there are plenty other of other types of positions people can be in, and everyone is just as important because they all work together. There are a myriad of, of different things and fields that you can go 
into in the services. A lot of them are, at this day and age, geared to cyber th threats against our nation and how to deal with that. And they, if you want to help protect this country from uh, cyber threats, which uh, is increasingly the way that the terrorists of the world try to bring this country down now, if you go into the services, they all have uh, branches, all the branches have uh, training to help you become someone that can deal with and combat this cyber terrorist attack, attacks against our nation. I think that is extremely important. Right. Well, we thank you for your time in this interview, and of course, we thank you for your service. Oh, you're quite welcome. Okay, are you still with us? Yep, I sure am. All right. Well, thanks for bearing with us. Um, oh, that's no problem. Hey, I just wanted to wish you uh, a happy Veterans Day, and that was sort of the theme of our show today. And so we just wanted to talk to you a little bit and, um, you know, just have us tell you a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got into the Air Force and, you know, some of that. Well, sure. I think it was like September of 1970. I had wanted to be an Air Force officer since I was a little boy because my dad had been an Army Air Corps officer during World War II. So I went to college for my undergraduate degree at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. And mm -hmm. they have a thing there called ROTC, which stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps. And they have it for the Air Force and the Army. And I had wanted to be, I actually had wanted to go in the Navy and be a Navy officer, but you didn't have the Naval ROTC on campus. So I went in the Air Force instead and was commissioned in June of 1970. Went in the Air Force and was stationed at Holstrom Air Force Base out in Great Falls, Montana, which is the same air base where you may, if you had seen the news here a few months back where the Chinese balloon was spying. Oh, yeah. At least they thought it was. That's that's where that was at. Yeah, <laughs> and, I definitely uh, remember that story about the balloon. Yeah, exactly. So I was uh, assigned there. I was a second lieutenant when I first started and I worked my uh, way up to captain. I was a launch control officer on the Minuteman Intercontinental Ballistic Missile System and served for four years between, I think it was September when I was on active duty, through about September or so of 1974 when I left the Air Force and decided not to stay in as a career. But I was very, very well treated. The Air Force was a great, a great service to be part of. They're very, very nice to you and just really loved it. So... Had a good time. Well, what would you say about, wasn't there a lot of like anti-war sentiment right about that time that you were going there, in? There wasn't, there was during the mid and late 1960s when I was on campus at OU. And then it did extend over in the early 1970s for a year or two, I guess. But 
being on an Air Force base, so we didn't experience any of that. They wouldn't allow it on Air Force Base. You you didn't have that. You, you saw it on, like you're seeing it now because of the Israeli war. You, you see it on, on college campuses. For whatever reason, college students seem to get into that uh, a whole lot more than most other, other people do. Although right now we are seeing a lot of demonstrations in larger cities involving the Israeli war, but... I didn't see a whole lot of that. I did sit before I joined the Air Force, but all the Air Force people were very committed to their jobs and very professional and very much, uh, you know, Air Force people and, and were going to, to be that way. So uh, right. that's, yeah. But one of the things that I know, you know, since you're my grandfather and my grandmother was going to college there at the same time, was one of the things that happened, I believe, while you two were still in school, was the Kent State, you know. Well, yes. Right. Yes. That, yeah, I, I thought you were, refer, were referring to when I was up and uh, was actually in the Air Force. No, when I was on campus going to school, we did have a lot of, you know, students that would be very proactive that way and that was the year i think it was in 1970 actually that the kent state students were in fact shot and killed at kent state by the i think it was the army army national guard that the governor had brought on right. on the campus and that was a highly unusual event right it that was. should never have so never have happened, but it did. Yes, you're right. But one of the interesting things that you know that I know is that it almost held up your graduation, I believe, didn't it? Because there was such concern about, you know. Well, it actually canceled the graduation ceremony. The uh-huh. uh, 1970 graduation ceremony at OU was canceled because the the protesting was so so heavy and so bad. And so, you know, anti-military that we, we, I mean, the university itself canceled it. And so we, we did graduate, of course, we got our degrees, but we didn't have a ceremony for it. Yeah. But there was some concern for a while there that you might not get your commission too. Was there not? No, not really. Okay. We we do we would get commissioned. Okay, that wasn't an issue. Hmm. It was a matter of when was all. They had to reschedule the ceremony. I see. Because gotcha. yeah, that, that was the only real problem, and we didn't have the ceremony on campus. We actually had it down at the what to call the the Ohio University Inn, which is down at the other end of town, and it was in a in a private you know, restaurant and motel mm-hmm. location. And so they, we were off campus completely. And the Air Force, both the Air Force and the Army, commissioned all of their new officers down there. And that took place on June 13th, uh, 1970. So well, that's, that's how very, that worked out. <laughs> that's very interesting. That's just always stood out in my mind that you guys were there, right you know, basically oh, neighbors yeah. to the situation. Yeah, we were. We were right there. Well, that's pretty cool. I, I know you've always talked about the Air Force, you know, in a positive light, and you say that they were always good to you. 
So I was just wondering if now, you know, you look at the way the state of the world is and we have all this activity going on now. And there have been certain reports, I think, that some of the different branches are having trouble meeting their, you know, numbers for recruitments. Yes. And so I was just wondering, you know, given your experience and your knowledge and you know, the way you follow politics and look at the world, what you might say to a young man who was considering, you know, maybe going in? Well, I think it's it's a very proud thing for, for young men and women to do. If you love your country, especially back when, when I served in way back in the 1970s, it was a proud thing for us to do. We wanted to serve. We, we, we felt it was our duty to serve. Now, I know that a lot of the young men today don't feel that way, but they should. Our country is the safest. It is the, the best country this world has ever seen. And our military is the strongest military this world has ever seen. And it always will be. No matter what you hear other people say, the United States Air Force, Marine Corps, Navy, and U.S. Army will always be the strongest in the entire world. If you look right now at the, at the Ukraine war with Russia, can you believe how large Russia is and they can't even defeat the Ukraine? Mm-hmm. This used to be part of their own country at one time. And that's what I'm saying. So if you're a young man now, be proud to put on the uniform and go into service and, and serve your time there. Be proud to serve your country and to protect the citizens of the United States and to realize that you did serve some time to do that. That's, that's what I would say to them, not to feel bad at all about it, to be proud of it. Well, that's great. I think that's truly, you know, inspiring, honestly. <laughs> well, that's, I would hope it would be. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we definitely want to thank you for your service. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about this. So I guess oh, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Well, good. I'm I'm really thankful. And I guess I would just leave it open to you if there's anything else that you would want to add or say that maybe I didn't prompt you for. Well, I guess the thing that's is, is that I'm, I'm very proud to have been a veteran. I'm proud to have served as an officer because I had wanted to to follow in my dad's footsteps and, and be an officer. And I'm proud of the job that I did. We used to describe the job as a launch control officer on the nuclear ICBM system as 98% boredom and 2% sheer terror. Because <laughs> either, you were, either you were doing nothing but just monitoring all of the launch, con- launch control information or part of the time there was something going on in the world, like in Russia or China, that made us get prepared to maybe have to launch those things. Yeah. And that was very scary. That was the 2%, what I called sure terror. Mm-hmm. But we all got through it, and we still are. And I'm, I'm just proud of it. And I want to make sure everybody that may hear my voice understands that I'm very proud of all of our veterans. We've got veterans and all the services that have served a lot of them gave their lives and that's a very proud proud thing to do and i i want to say thank you to all the 
servicemen that have serviced with our country, served our country, and to wish them well and to have a happy Veterans Day. Well, that's awesome. And we definitely feel the same way here. You know, that's why we wanted to celebrate this and, and have you on here to talk about it. So thank you so much, Papa, and thank oh, you for your welcome, service. Son. Well, thank you. You guys have a great time. We hope you enjoyed those wonderful interviews from the veterans that are in our own lives. And we hope you were able to spend some time or thank a veteran spend some time with or thank a veteran for their service during Veterans Day. And now we're going to move on to the more topical news. And we're going to start here at home in Ohio because we had a couple of big voting issues the other day. The first one I believe Frank wants to talk about is issue two. That's right. Issue two is going to be number one. (laughs) It is number one, in my opinion. And I believe I predicted it in one of our more recent episodes. I believe I said something to the effect of like the public was kind of desensitized to marijuana and you can kind of buy like the Delta 8 alternatives like at every gas station everywhere and they already have the marijuana leaf up in most people's faces and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it, in a manner of speaking. It's got that Delta 8 sign on it, but right. it passed. So marijuana is going to be legal here in Ohio. Yeah, I believe it passed by like 56%. I think it was 57-43. Yeah, something like that. I knew it was up, something like that, yeah. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I believe, I don't know, the laws pass a certain way, but they have time to make any changes if they want to because it's... Oh, yeah. And there are parties like DeWine, he's mm-hmm. already been out talking about how it needs to be changed before the deadline. I think they have until like December 7th or something like that if I'm not making it up. I'm not exactly sure about the date, but that right. stands out to me. But he has been out saying we need to change it and put up safeguards, make sure there's plenty of safeguards to protect you know, kids and people who don't want to inhale. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have to just be smelling it or possibly inhaling it or having it affect their mental health or their physical health or anything like that, you know. Yeah, the idea that's, you know, reasonable. Right. I'll just have to see how they, you know, decide to go about implementing those safeguards that they're yeah. talking about. Exactly. I wonder how reasonable that is. Right. I yeah. mean, because it seems like it would just follow the same rules as smoking or anything else. I mean, there right. are... Seems like most yep. people are reasonable. Do you say, sir, can you stand away from me? I'm trying to stand away from you. Can you try to stand, stand away from me? Right, yeah. I don't want to smell like a cigarette, you know? It would be the same thing with marijuana. I don't... <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think it'll be interesting still, though, to see yeah. exactly how it rolls out and exactly, you know... I mean, I know that I'm going to be much more apt to go down and buy from the store than I would be... Like, I never got the medical... Even though I always heard that they were giving them out like candy. You know what I mean? I think it'll still be much easier and a much easier entry into the market for the average person to just go buy it and not have to be, you know, signed up through a doctor and whatever now. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much it makes in its first year and this kind of thing, how popular they become. Right. 
Yeah, uh, it'll also be interesting to see what kind of social effects it has on the state. There are concerns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that. There are concerns, but I feel like it's something that's been moving this way in a big way and for a long time. And you and I, I believe, both know, I mean, whether or not this makes it onto the podcast or not, but you and I both know that there are daily users amongst us all the time anyway. So I don't see how, I mean, if anything, I see a bigger market, you know, where there might be people trying marijuana that never have. And there's no like Mm -hmm. resistance to have to go see a doctor or anything. Now you can just go in and buy it. But otherwise I don't see like huge concerns. Yeah. Do you, what do you think about how many other states eventually will follow? Do you think, There'll be a point where it's all of them? Yes, I think it'll happen on a national level at some point. A national level, that's interesting. Well, I guess barring any national kind of implementation, I don't think it will show up to every state. Well, I think, here's my thinking, okay? Because kind of like you were asking about sort of like numbers. Mm -hmm. If we got to a sort of consensus where they could by state process change the constitution Mm. then i don't see why the congress wouldn't just do it so for the slim few holdout states it would probably be decriminalized on a federal level right so that okay texas doesn't like you to take it into texas but it's not going to be federally illegal right yeah anymore right yeah i think that would make more sense whereas it's not like a federal crime to cross state lines right with it but yeah, because I, I think there will still always be some states, just as there will always be some people that don't don't want it in their municipalities, their communities. Well, I just think, on especially on a federal level, you know, if, the, if it gets to like a state by state, like a Tenth Amendment kind of thing, where mm-hmm. Texas is never going to allow it, let's just say as a hypothetical, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the federal government would probably get tired of swatting down all these cases all the time. Right. Of how it's like legal in every other state. Right. But Texas. Yeah. And they'd probably get tired of just swatting down all these cases and they'd be like, you know what? We're not taking any marijuana cases on the federal level anymore. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out now. But I also think there will be holdout states. Like I've said that about West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I, I just think there are states, some states where, and it's structured this way, I believe, yeah, where be. they believe, or they're, they're, well, it's not supposed to be what I'm about to say, but they're so dependent on federal dollars oh, okay. that they that's, would that's never go against the federal government right. okay. unless the federal government changed its policies. Right. I thought you were going to say something about going back to states' rights. No, I mean, historically, West Virginia has been a, a cash-strapped yeah, state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where my thinking comes from, is like if they want grants for roads and they mm-hmm. want grants for this and grants for that, then, you know, they're not going to take an act outside of the pale like decriminalizing marijuana in the right, state yeah. of West Virginia right. because then they're just going to be putting themselves in harm's way of losing these budgeted dollars or right. whatever as some sort of backhand or punishment or yep yep that's right well we'll move on to 
Number two, issue one. Issue one, that's right, the big one. Yeah, unfortunately, is now going to be in the Ohio State Constitution that women have the right to, how do they phrase it, reproductive autonomy or whatever euphemisms they like. But it also passed by almost the same percentage, like 56, 57%. So in a way, does that nullify the heartbeat, Bill? I have no idea. I suppose I feel like it, it does. Would. Yeah. If it's in the state constitution now. I can't believe it. The only thing I really have to say about that, because I don't want to dwell on it. The listeners know how we feel. I def- It's a huge letdown. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would have to say is that it's it fell on the same lines as issue two. It's 57-43. Yeah. So it's like the people who went out and voted, they knew how they were going to vote this time. Right. That seems to be how it reads to me. Yep. It definitely seems like, because we also saw sort of in some other elections that it was a big issue even when it wasn't on any kind of ballot, and it drove people out to vote. Because like in Virginia, the they had a whole bunch of like state legislature races, and I believe one of the houses flipped to Democrat, and the other one gained more seats because it was already in Democrat control. And then in Kentucky, the Democrat governor won again. Hmm. And in those races, the abortion issue was a big issue, you know, like I said, when it wasn't actually on the ballot. I think it's just a shame. I think it just stems right. from ignorance. I mean, I hate to say that, yeah, but I just think people too. don't know, and they... You know, they grew up all their lives hearing that Roe v. Wade would never be overturned. Mm-hmm. And then they see a Republican Supreme Court do it. And it's like they live in this other world where, like, it's all doom and gloom. And, and it's their dark reality is coming true. And right. they have no rights. And they feel they, they need to enshrine these rights in the Constitution and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's terrible what they're doing. It is. And it's just... Uh, no, I mean, luckily it has been over. You know, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Thank goodness for that. But it just puts us back at the hard battle of having to push for the issue in the states individually. And yeah, probably perpetually. Yep. And I guess similarly to the marijuana issue until you know, the federal oh. government legislates, legislates it in some way. And hopefully the right way for right. for once. It's left to the states as it should be. Um, just like, and this kind of leads us to our next little topic, which is about the debates. Just like, kind of like Nikki Haley said, because she was kind of pushing that point. It's left to the states, and um, thank goodness there are states where that are pro-life, and... Those that are not, no, it's unfortunate, but it's the people's choice. We wish they would choose better, but it is their the voters' choice in those states. I suppose. I just wish. I mean, maybe it's a different topic, different debate for a different time. But I just wonder who spoke. You know, there's Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. but who spoke for the innocent involved? You know what I mean? The one yeah. really in question. Yeah. And that's what our Constitution says. Life, liberty. Mm-hmm. 
life. Right. And that's how it should have been decided all along from the get-go. Is right. We side with life. It's, it's in there. So. <laughs> yep. But I was able to watch the third Republican primary debate last Wednesday as you folks are listening to this. I only watched it once and missed a couple minutes of it while it was live. So I suppose I don't really have too many comments. But it was okay from what I do recall. I don't think there's any super standout moments other than Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley sharing jabs again. You're scum. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I've heard a couple people point out in the last debate Vivek tried to be the... Mr. Unity candidate guy on the stage after his first debate of not being very unifying. And then he comes back and throws these jabs like, uh, what do you say, Dick Cheney and heels. I thought that was pretty good. I mean, I guess it was okay, but I was like, uh, I don't really get it. I don't think it's necessary. He's talking about like their warmongering. And yeah, I mean, I get that. And if I was Nikki Haley, I just wouldn't have responded. Because it was like several minutes had gone by since he said that before she made her comment about her heels uh, not being a fashion statement or whatever, but being ammunition, which makes no sense to me. She <laughs> keeping bullets in the heel? I don't know what the heck that means. But uh, I thought Chris Christie did okay. I don't really have anything specific. I just kind of remember him standing out. Tim Scott, I think he's he's uh, probably going to be on his way out soon. He still, I don't think, is you know really catching any fire, if you will. Who am I missing? I guess that was pretty much all of them. Oh, Ron DeSantis? I don't really know. I guess he didn't have anything special because he's not sticking out in my mind. I feel like the biggest names that did stand out to me were between Chris Christie, Vivek, and Nikki Haley. What did you think about the jab where he got in about her daughter using TikTok or whatever? I don't know. I understand his the point he was making. Because, mm-hmm. you know, she's talked about how she wants to ban TikTok, but she lets her own children use TikTok. But I also am one who's not particularly thrilled about bringing in politicians' children. Particularly if they're not an adult child. Which she might be, I don't know. But from what it sounds like, it seems like that particular daughter uh, is a minor. Um, well, I feel like, like I have a, mixed feelings on it, I guess. I feel like it's better in the first regard. Mm-hmm. I, and more. I mean, I feel like I know where he's coming from. And yeah. I feel like the only reason why you would say something like that is I don't... I mean, because there is another way to say the other thing. Right. And I guess somebody might do it in innuendo, but not on a national platform, you wouldn't think. I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, that's not where what his intent is. Yeah, I, and, I don't really feel like he, sh- he was trying to drag her through the mud or right. anything. Well, and I've thought about the verbiage, too. And if he had said something and tried to downplay it and be like, you know, you let people in your household, well, that already isn't doesn't have the same mean, the same implications as what he's intending. Yeah. You know? Like, the moldable future, the impressionable uh, young. Right, yeah. <clears throat> so I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with it. It just... I get why most people have a sort of knee-jerk reaction sure. to doing something yeah. like that, but I feel like it was a good point. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's why I started with that. I I did understand this point. I thought it was good. I just feel like Nikki Haley's fake, just personally. I feel like she's so fake. And I've been warned yeah. about Vivek, and people say, don't trust him. He's, he's you know, whatever. Johnny mm-hmm. come lately sort of vibe. And But I feel like he makes a lot more sense, and he doesn't just scream in my face that he's fake. Right. You know, and some people hit me that way, like yeah, nails uh-huh. on a blackboard. And right. Nikki's, she didn't used to be that way, but now she does. I don't know what changed, but she just rubs um, me the wrong way anymore. <laughs> Well, if you listen to Steven Crowder, it's her her appointment on the board of one of the defense contractors and the fact that they also operate in South Carolina. Well, I mean, I feel like she's always come from a place of strength, and I loved her at the mm-hmm. U.N. She was so good. Yeah. But I think she and Trump had a sort of falling out. Mm-hmm. At one point. And I feel like ever since then, she's just seemed so... I sound like Trump. God, I miss him. But mm-hmm. she be, she's become such a nasty woman, in my opinion. Just sort of yeah. nasty. I sometimes find her off-putting. And I'll, and I'll even say this. I mean, she might be doing pretty decently in the polls. But when it comes actual time to vote, and uh, if any... Leftists are listening. They're going to call me sexist. But mm-hmm. I don't think America wants a female president yet. Well, I'll tell you what it was for me in this one with the daughter thing. Here's the last point that I'll make. Um, is when she did do that reaction, she mm-hmm. said it almost like Will Smith said it in that whole like sort of staged thing. You remember when he hit Chris Rock, he smacked him or mm-hmm. whatever for yeah. talking about his wife? Uh-huh. He said, keep my wife's name out your mouth. Right, yeah. Well, that's what she said to Vivek. Uh, yeah. Just like it was staged or it was on a Hollywood Awards show, mm-hmm. replica, remake. It's like the whatever, the farce, the farcical version. That's how it hit me was like a farce because she's like, keep my daughter's name out your head or whatever. She tried mm-hmm. to, she even saw herself saying the Will Smith thing and tried <laughs> to change up the verbiage huh. mid sentence. I promise you, if you go wa- and watch that, mm-hmm. she hears herself and she like changes it. She's like, keep my daughter's name out your speech. <laughs> whatever. Right. It just sounds awkward because she knows what she's quoting and what she's doing and who mm. she's acting like yeah uh, i don't i don't really know why she's doing that great in the polls i mean uh, i can see why she's fairly appealing to some moderates which uh you know is certainly a group of voters that we want to win over but i don't i don't think the republican party as a whole is really go pull for her in the end uh i actually even though Tim Scott's not doing that great, I feel like he really would have a better shot if you know, other players weren't involved because ideally some of their votes could go to him. Right. Like some of Nikki's votes would probably go to Tim Scott. But who knows, though? We still got a couple months till the first primary or caucus in Iowa. Well, right. And there's still an elephant in the room. Yeah, there's still the elephant that has not been in the room, <laughs> Donald Trump. But according to the polling, he's doing better than anybody else, even though he's not in those rooms. Yeah. It's a strange phenomenon. Yeah, 
it does seem strange, but I still don't really buy it. Because in some of the same polls, when they do a test of generic Republican versus, like, Joe Biden, generic Republican does better than Trump versus Biden in some states. So I don't, I don't really know how much to take from the polls. I don't really buy them that, that much. Well, especially this early. Yeah. When, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they don't matter anymore. Right up at the end, yeah. because they don't have anything to do with the results. Right. Yep. And we'll go to another quick topic here. I don't know if you saw in the past, I believe, days, yesterday, Joe Manchin announced he's not going to run for the Senate seat in West Virginia. I did see that. But... Yep. And he's going to be traveling around the country. Did you hear that part? Oh, yeah. yeah. I know... Well, it's well timed uh-huh. too. That's the other thing. Yeah, put your name out there. Right. Get it. Get yourself in the headlines. Yep. Just about the same time, even David Axelrod, good friend of Obama, is talking about how Joe Biden should think about stepping down or stepping out of the race. So yeah, and I think he's been bought. Who? Joe? Yeah. Mansion? Mm-hmm. I don't really know. Or do you think it's just this savior complex thing he's got going on? Because it seems to me like he's really got it bad. I don't know. He thinks he can bridge the country. I mean, I think people can believe that sincerely, even if it's not realistic. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I really don't have too many issues with Joe Manchin, so I'm not really trying to judge the man. Because I don't really know. I I don't get the sense that he's really bought and paid for maybe he is i don't like i said i don't really but know where would he get the money to go start a presidential campaign and traverse the country or vice backwards travel the country get the talk going and then well throw i think it comes from the this no labels group okay so because of that group he's paid for i don't know i'm just wondering oh. something i feel like something's motivating him and it's not i just wonder what it really is I wouldn't sit and try to state what it is, but I just wonder. I don't really, I mean, yeah, obviously something's motivating them, but I don't get any strange feelings about it. I do. <laughs> like, what makes him think he has a chance? Who's ever heard of, most people haven't heard of West Virginia. I promise you. I think we said it before. I've gone out west, and you tell them where you're from, and they say, oh, here, it's nice there in western Virginia. And you're like, we're uh-huh. our own state. So I just don't get where he's coming from. I feel like Gavin Newsom would have it in the bag, in a way. And where does Joe get off? I don't know. I don't necessarily think Newsom would have it in the bag. So I, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think that's part of what's really shaking this whole election season up. Nobody knows what's really going to happen. Well, it'd be interesting to see. Because but... Trump might get convicted on charges and a lot of people aren't looking forward to that joe biden might drop out of the race because other democrats are trying to pressure him to there's a lot to well i'll tell you this because i know i've said it before yeah. but if joe manchin ever made it on a ticket i'd vote for him and i made this whole thing about how i'm pretty sure there was a president who ran and he like basically only won his own home state or something like that and I just sort of see that. <laughs> That's what I imagine for Joe Manchin. 
So mm. I would do it. Right. But I don't see anybody else really doing it. <laughs> I don't know. But it'll be, I think, good to see, because I imagine, since he's not running for the Senate race, oh, what's his name, governor there now, Jim Justice, mm-hmm. uh, will probably lock up that Senate seat pretty easy. I hope so. I think he'd make a great senator. Yeah, and it'd be nice to have another R in our yes, Senate. Yes, it would. It would. <laughs> yeah, but lots, lots to look forward to, and lots that we talked about. Yes, sir. We hope you enjoyed our Veterans Day special interviews with Frank's grandpa and my father. I thought they turned out very well. Yes, and I think just like, you know, my grandfather did, I would like to thank all the veterans. I know you would too. Yes. Uh, It was great to get to talk to a couple in an interview. And, uh, you know, I've never served. I think I'm the first guy in my line in a long time who didn't serve, but... I certainly have a, a big appreciation for those who did. And, yes. you know. uh, I unfortunately can't serve, although I've heard the military is hurting these days, as, we've, as we heard in our interviews, and maybe they might take a fellow like me these days. <laughs> who knows? You never know. Right. If you can make it through basic training. <laughs> <laughs> right. And listeners, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms if you enjoy our content. You can check us out on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many others. Just search Conservative Conversations. And you can also find us on YouTube. And we hope you like, subscribe, comment, and share with your friends. And as always, we thank you for listening.